I feel the British have lost the vision of God really doing something big in this country and have no idea how to do it. So the vision for the church is not very good, but wonderfully we now have African and Latin American and Caribbean and Chinese yes. and so on, who almost take mass evangelism and uh, tremendous growth for granted. Yeah. And I believe they can be the hope for the British church. Hi guys, Matt here from Frontiers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Raw Mission, the podcast where we bring you challenging and inspiring stories of ordinary folks sharing the good news of our extraordinary God in some of the toughest parts of the world. Now, hopefully you joined us last week for part one of my interview with Martin Goldsmith. We had a great time discussing witchcraft and shamanism, and we were talking about the Indonesian church and then the importance of storytelling. And that's what we're going to get back to now. Part two of his interview, he's going to pick up talking about storytelling and the importance of that when sharing the gospel with Muslims. Something else I learned in South Thailand was the storytelling. Yes. Uh, I remember a turning point in South Thailand where I was walking by the sea on a lovely tropical evening under the palms, you know, proper missionary life. <laughs> and uh, I was walking there with a man, Dr. Gordon Gray, who was a brilliant linguist, brilliant musician, mm. and a brilliant preacher, uh, quite an exceptional man. And I looked up to him. He was oh, mm. 10 or 20 years older than me and uh, experienced. And I don't remember anything else he said to me, but I remember him saying that evening, Martin, if we really want to communicate to the local Malay people here, we've got to learn to tell stories. Mm. And I set out on storytelling. Uh, yeah. I started with, uh, there was a man called Paul White who wrote books called the Jungle Doctor books. Oh, yeah. And uh, one or two of the Jungle Doctor books, I think, are still in print, uh, although they're very old now. <clears throat> and they're stories about animals. And it, each chapter has a different animal story, uh, which teaches one aspect of morality, of ethics, okay. or one aspect of the truth of the gospel, Yeah, uh, but just one aspect in each chapter. Mm. And I took over two of his chapters and uh, their stories mm. uh, and uh, Islamicized them so that they fitted South Thailand and Islam. Yep. And I noticed uh, the tremendous impact those stories had on people. Mm. And uh, actually my stories, these Jungle Doctor two stories, <laughs> uh, people would listen by the hour wow. uh, to hear these stories. Mm. Uh, and then they would go back to their 
and housing estate or village and tell the story themselves so that mm. these stories went all over the area uh, amazingly mm. and then in malaysia um i when i was working there uh, it was illegal to witness to a muslim yeah uh, i think it's the same today isn't I, it yes it is mm. strongly so mm. and uh, i thought in my naivete and youth i thought oh i was just in a market town not in, not in the capital in malaysia a little town called kluang in johor state and uh, and i was young and unknown you know i thought nobody will pay any attention to me you know i can get away with it so i preached openly and in among the malay muslim people there Mm. And then finally, I got a letter from the Ministry of Religion, or from the Sultan, actually, from the Sultan oh. of the whole state, uh, accusing me of disturbing the peace. Oh, yes, just like Socrates, corrupting and, the young and disturbing the peace. <laughs> that's right. And inviting me graciously to meet with the head of the police in the, in the state. And, oh and the head of the religious police in the state uh, and one other man who was also a top official <clears throat> and they gave me a choice yeah and they said uh, either you can give us a promise that you will not take the initiative in talking about Jesus to muslims or we will give you 24 hours to leave the country oh wow and, and not only you but all the other omf workers in the country oh. of which there were about six at that time oh no <laughs> and i thought imagined you know me going down in omf history as having caused <laughs> the end of omf work in malaysia <laughs> i thought that, that was not the best heritage to leave oh gosh so what did you say and uh, thought well you know it's not biblical to say i won't witness to 50% of the population yeah i'm biblical you can't do that as a christian but then i thought of storytelling again mm. that i could tell stories mm. but wouldn't talk about jesus yes but my lead to it Yes, it's fishing. They ask questions. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I wouldn't be taking the initiative. Yeah. In teaching about Jesus, mm -hmm. I'm telling stories, religious stories. Yes. And I began. So I gave the promise, and I knew I was carefully watched. Mm. Uh, I could see it, uh, but um, I started to tell stories. And I took over one or two of the parables of Jesus I'm hopeless at making up my own stories so yeah. I quite clearly plagiarize other people's uh, but I ch change them and adapt them culturally and religiously yes so I used to tell the story of uh, well my my favorite one was of uh, of a very wealthy millionaire top muslim uh going to the mosque mm. and praying and you know he 
course, he knew how to do his washings perfectly, and uh, and then his his Arabic was brilliant, and uh, mm. all his movements fitted the uh, the wording of the Muslim prayer uh, perfectly, and uh, and he prayed just brilliantly. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, while he was praying, uh, his mind wandered. And he began to think about the pretty girl at the end of the road <laughs> and mm. was quietly undressing her while he was praying <laughs> mm. in his mind. Uh, uh, but, he, but his Arabic was beautiful and his prayers were perfect uh, and uh, just excellent prayers. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the human mind can go astray and wander. Uh, but it happened at the same time that there was a poor old beggar Muslim who begged all his life. Mm. And uh, he, he didn't pray and he didn't pay his tithes, his zakat, uh, or anything like that. He was not a good Muslim. But he realized suddenly that actually God had been amazingly good to him. And he'd always had just about enough to cover his body and in clothing, not good clothing, but enough. And always had just about enough to keep body and soul together mm. in food. And he wanted to thank God for it. And, but he, he just didn't know his way around prayer. And anyway, where he went to the mosque to thank God. And uh, he, he knew you went to the washing room first, but couldn't remember how you do your washing. You know, do you do the arms from the, the end of the hand up to the elbow, or do you start at the elbow and go down to the hand? And do mm. you keep your hand with the fingers open, or do you close them, or, or what? And, how do you wash out your mouth? And do you wash out your mouth before you cover the head, or do you cover the head first and then wash out the mouth, etc.? Yeah, uh, he couldn't remember. And of course, the crowds love to tell you because they know, oh, yeah. uh, and you actually know too. But <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Uh, and then he went into the mosque to pray, and uh, of course, he couldn't remember any Arabic. Mm. Uh, and had no idea how to pray. But he went behind one of the pillars and squatted down there. And, and in Malay, not in Arabic, mm. just thanked God for how good he'd been to him. And then I asked people, you know, which man's prayer did God actually like best? Mm. And the answers were very, very interesting. Most people would answer, well, obviously, the first man. Mm. Unfortunate that his mind went wrong. At least, at least his Arabic was good. At least he knew when to stand yes, and when to kneel. he was obedient to the call of God. He did what was yeah. right. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, his prayer was perfect, exactly the will of God for him. Yeah. Um, unfortunate that he was mm. doing that. Uh, but, uh, so the beauty, uh, of, the beauty of storytelling is 
you can subtly be a challenge, really challenge existing thoughts and patterns, much as Jesus did with his parables. And he wasn't preaching a um, a theology, you know, that was formed. And you know, he knew he knew who he was, and he knew what was coming with the cross and the resurrection. But yeah, he he gently introduced these stories that would seek, you yes. know, draw and out Muslims, the seekers. And Muslims uh, feel it's the externals that are primary. Yeah. But actually, you have no gospel until people realize that the heart has gone astray. Yes. And that actually the heart is more important than the externals. Exactly. And this, this is, I suppose we could call this subversive storytelling. You're, you're, yes. you're introducing it, gospel themes and biblical themes. You're trying to look for the seekers who are hungry and will come to you afterwards and say, well, tell me more. Just as the disciples did sometimes with Jesus, we don't understand. What are you talking about? But that's who you're looking for, isn't it? Especially in a country where the authorities are all over you. I would have people come back to me and say, you know, you're trying to tell me something, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> or tell us something. Uh, and then you could discuss a bit further. I, I have been stoned uh, three times in my life. <laughs> uh, wow. And... Uh, once uh, was a Muslim crowd, uh, and that sort of godless young person enjoys getting violent against a Christian preacher, mm. uh, even though their own Islam it may be quite weak. <laughs> right. Uh, but they enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah. It's throwing stones at a Christian, you see. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I kept the young people on side with me because they enjoyed my stories yeah. rather than having them stone me Gosh. <laughs> um, and still opening the door that they might come back for more. Yeah. And so on, on those occasions when they threw stones at you, how serious did that get? Did you feel in danger of your life or did, did you manage just to get away quickly? How did that pan out? Well, we ignominiously ran <laughs> yeah well <laughs> managed to escape i mean i was bruised yes but not more okay more. i mean that's bi yeah, it's biblical it sometimes it's biblical to run isn't it when they persecute yes. you in one city and it's the also next. biblical not to cast your pearls before swine correct uh, or yeah or mad dogs uh, yeah. who will just bite you <laughs> yeah no, yeah. that's right. Yeah, but wonderful. I think with people who are not ready for the gospel, if you preach the gospel openly to them, the only thing they can do is say no, mm. whether violently or not, but say no. And saying no to the Lord is a hardening experience. Yeah. So you actually make it harder for them to become Christians later. Mm. So I don't want to do that. Yeah. If they're not ready, yeah, there's a time to to move on and wait. Yeah. So storytelling, I think, is very, very important. And actually, I noticed in Britain today that uh, storytelling has become the way of arguing. That's right. You know, if you discuss in Parliament about, I don't know, euthanasia, for example, uh, you don't discuss the biology of it or the medical of it you know or the ethics <laughs> and the yeah. philosophy of it or religion of it 
you tell a story about some guy who's mm-hmm. you know suffering most terribly and longing to die yes. and you know and now you're denying it from yes. him that's right you tug on the heartstrings and yeah it's interesting right. isn't it this uh, is the postmodern world yeah we're not debating truth or not truth it's what's my truth and my feelings and and yes. how does, does that impact and particular yeah, stories speak yes that's right so we've got to learn as christians yeah. not just among muslims but particularly among muslims to mm. tell stories effectively mm. which is why i've written my book on on storytelling yes yeah gosh we haven't touched on your books you've how many books do you, i mean you and elizabeth between you how many have you written I've never counted, but it's about 30, I think. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I've read a f- one or two of them, and they're, yeah, you, you're always full of great stories. And uh, But also, you know, you guys are sharp thinkers. You're missiologists, you're theologians, and you, you think in different cultures. And, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom for us to learn from you guys. Yes, I do feel that our training courses have got to learn in our just for ordinary British training, mm. uh, the Bible colleges and theological colleges uh, have got to become much more multicultural, mm. not just in personnel, but in in their teaching and syllabus and understanding yes. of scripture and so on. And, yes. Um, and I feel that the All Nations training, which is why I joined the college there. I feel all nations has got something to offer for for people being multicultural in its teaching, yes. in its syllabus. Yes, it's, it's a really important. It's a it's a great thing, and you know one of the things that is going well in the world right now is is this understanding that there are many voices that haven't been heard over the decades, uh, whether in theology or whether in ethics or whatever it is, but. You know, we are, I think, beginning to listen more effectively to, to very important voices from Sri Lanka, from Latin America, China and Korea. Absolutely. Uh, um, now, we want to uh, want good theology. Yes. And particularly good biblical knowledge mm. uh, and ability to communicate scripture mm. in other cultures, because we are such a an intercultural world now, yeah. including Britain. You know, even our village of Stansted Abbots here next to all nations, you know, it's just a village <clears throat> which if if we'd been talking 30 years ago, I would have said is very conservative, you know, small C and big C and any other C. And, <laughs> uh, you know, as a Jew, I was the only non ethnic English mm. here. Uh, but now we have, you know, Cuban of living opposite me, black Cuban, and there's Bangladeshi and mm-hmm. Iranian and mm. Chinese and Yeah, it's beautiful, African isn't it? And of course, and yeah, all sorts. <laughs> yes. So much for us to learn, you know, from meeting different cultures, but also opportunities where People don't have a chance in their, in, in perhaps if they've come as, as new neighbors, recent immigrants, they may have come from countries where the gospel 
isn't available, isn't accessible in their language or in their culture. So we do have an amazing opportunity to love those around us and show them God's love here too. Yes. I think too that when I look at the British church, Mm. I feel the British have lost the vision of God really doing something big in this country and and have no idea how to do it. So the vision for the church is not very good. Mm. Uh, But wonderfully, we now have African and Latin American and Caribbean and Chinese and so on, who who almost take mass evangelism and uh, tremendous growth for granted. Yeah. I believe they can be the hope for the British church. Mm. That's right. Yeah, we look at the history of Korea. I mean, how the church has grown there or in China in the last 50 yeah, years. Now, of course, it's going down, unfortunately. Is it? But yeah, yeah you, you look at the growth of the church in some of these parts of the world, and then they come to Britain, they say, why not here? God is the same God. He can revive and restore and do something with the church here. Why not? Yes, I used to go to Korea every year for mission training. Mm. And uh, every year, they would put on a, a stadium meeting for mission uh, while I was there. Uh, and they were always between 20 and 40,000 people. Wow. And, uh, and I would preach at that. Uh, and they didn't think twice about it, you know, 20,000, 30,000, mm. 40,000, you know, perfectly normal. Mm. Here in Britain, if we had a meeting of 20, 30, 40,000 for a missionary meeting, Mm. uh, we'd be a little bit surprised, I think. Yes. Although you say that, I've heard about the send. I don't know if you've heard about it. It started in Florida and then into Brazil, and they filled two and a half stadiums in Brazil. Everyone said you won't fill one, and nobody will come. not western it's not western you're right and i don't know if you've heard but they're doing one in norway this summer and they're trying it yes i've heard Um, so that's very exciting and and you know maybe in a few years we could bring one to britain and gather the churches to and what do you think i mean you mentioned the british church uh just generally in terms of the gospel here in our land but in terms of thinking about the the nations the unreached people that third of the world who don't you know you have access to the gospel we might call them gospel deprived or gospel neglected how do you i don't know do you have any words for the the british church and in terms of you know getting over our post-colonial angst and guilt or giving up on mission because well that's the job of the chinese and koreans and latinos now yes i mean on the angst business uh there are things to confess, obviously. Yes, uh, absolutely. Mm. We should unashamedly confess them. <laughs> yes, uh, the horrors of colonialism. But yeah. I think we also In need part. to look realistically mm. and see that actually there were positives in colonialism. People, you know, even to say it sounds mm. just terribly right-wing and, <laughs> and awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But actually, it's true. Hmm. You know, I've worked in Thailand that was never colonialized. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the backwardness until recently when Western approaches have come in, 
and brought modern medicine and uh, modern education and modern industrial industrial approaches and so on. Uh, but until mm. then, nothing changed, you know, for a thousand years. Right. Uh, and uh, education and medicine and approaches to women and so on. Right. Yeah. Uh, shocking. Uh, and morality mm. down the drain. Um, and uh, there were a lot of good things we brought as well as bad things yes, and bad approaches. And actually, there were colonialists also who were good. Mm. Uh, you know, we owe a lot in Indonesia to Sir Stamford Raffles, who was a colonialist mm. there. And mm. Singapore, of course, honours him enormously. Yes, uh, hotel chains. But I yeah. mean, he was a colonialist. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, you hardly yeah. dare put that title to him, but that's true. Yeah. You know, we, I think we've got to be more, more historical. Yes, more and nuanced. People mm. also don't say that actually slavery depended on the African tribes selling their people to the whites. Mm. Uh, so if the African tribes had not been involved in slavery themselves, mm -hmm. the slave trade could not have existed. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Arab slave trade uh, preceded the Christian one yep. and the Western one. Yep. Uh, That's right. It's so that, you know, if you look at the population of Yemen and Saudi and so mm -hmm. on now, you'll see lots of black faces. Mm. And those come from slaves who've become Muslim there. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, when I went to Mali on my first visit uh, back in the 19, oh, 1983, I think it was, mm. uh, one of the missionaries in West Mali stopped me on the street and said, by the way, uh, you can tell the difference, can you, between a slave and a free person? If you're enjoying this podcast, why not give us a five-star rating so that more folks can hear these inspiring stories and join us in praying, sending, giving and going. Or how about inviting me or one of my colleagues to speak at your church? I'd love to hear from you. Email me on matt at frontiers.org.uk. And now back to the podcast. And actually, when I went to Mali on my first visit uh, back in the 19, oh, 1983, I think it was, mm. uh, one of the missionaries in West Mali stopped me on the street and said, by the way, uh, you can tell the difference, can you, between a slave and a free person? Oh, gosh. I said, are the slaves? He said, oh, yes. Mm. You, can you not tell? I said, no. Mm. <laughs> and he stopped me by the side of the road. And as people passed, he would say, just look at the clothing of that man. Do you mm. see this and that? Mm. Uh, that man's a slave. And do you see this and that on that other man? Oh, he's free. And oh women the same. Yeah, uh, there's so much. I mean, bonded I slavery in Pakistan, oh, the, brick, the brick kilns. 
years, Mauritania had had a slave market as late as 1979. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Mm. Yes, you could go down to the market and you couldn't buy anything else at that market, but wow. you went around picking which, which human being you would buy. Mm. Let's return just to the question of um, the nation's global mission. And it's easy in post-Christian Europe perhaps to think, oh, there's so much to be done here. Uh, yeah. I mean, our, our Jerusalem, our Judea is just so, you know, un, ungodly in many ways. And the gospel is not really even understood by British people around this country. So, Martin, should we give up on sending to the nations because we have so many nations amongst us, because there's so many secular-minded no, folks we, around us? We should be sending people uh, in their professions which is absolutely normal. You know, all three of my children travel in their professions, mm. uh, one in business and one in coaching and personal relationships, mm. uh, and one for specifically Christian things and uh, uh, ecological issues, Ruth Valeria. Uh, and, um, but travel is so normal. Mm -hmm. And British people are going on holidays and business mm. and everything else uh, overseas. And intermarriage is so common. So people yep. go and visit in-laws and so on. But they're still not sending. It's not setting apart people for gospel work in, in unreached places. I was places. going to say yeah. we need that as well. Yeah. Because those sort of people tend not to learn the language mm. and not to learn the culture effectively. So, and they're very busy in their banking or their whatever. Yes. Uh, so they don't have much time or much energy for mm. specifically spiritual issues. And so I think we also need full-time missionary sending mm. without any shame. Uh, and uh, they need to be well-trained, well-prepared, so mm. that they are effective cross-culturally. Uh, and we need long-term people who really go deep in the culture and deep in the language. Yes. Yes, and of course, if there, about if there is a local church, then to partner with them and learn yes. from them and so on. But there are still many places where there is no local church to work with. And so there's still a need for pioneers uh, in some areas. I think uh, actually every country now has churches, even Mauritania and even the Maldives mm -hmm. now have churches. And I would emphasize work with the churches, mm. but in order to, to stimulate them and to work with them in uh, outreach uh, to uh, the unreached. Um, when I first went to Singapore, we as missionaries worked among the Malays directly mm. with very little result. In fact, no result. Yeah. Um, no fruit, anyway. Uh, and then we realized there were, in those days, about 200, now a lot more, Chinese and Indian churches mm. who had no interest in Malay work. Yes. They didn't relate to Malays at all. But, of course, they went to school with them and, Mm. worked with them and so on. 
so they related naturally, even though they weren't interested and didn't make friends. And uh, we began to work among the Chinese and Indian churches to stimulate mission among Muslims. Uh, yes. And that has been much, much more effective. Yes. Uh, even though culturally the gap between Chinese and Malay is horrendous. Yes, that's worse true. Than Malay to British. Yes, that is true because they wear very different clothing, don't they? And yeah, eat different everything. food. And it, yes, there's not a lot of that, but but we can encourage them to, well, what about making bridges? And what about sacrificing some of your own cultural values or practices to be a bit closer to the Muslim Malays? Yes. Um, we faced in Indonesia all sorts of cultural issues. Uh, one was the whole question of uh, our relationship as a husband and wife. Mm. Uh, just what we can do together visibly to the world yes. <laughs> and what we can't. Um, we faced it particularly with we didn't have running water, but we were graciously allowed to take water from a pipe between 6 and 6.30 a.m., if it ran, uh, in the mornings. Mm. Yeah, and uh, we're carrying water in that culture was women's work. Ah. Um, but actually carrying large buckets full of water is very, very heavy. Yes. And uh, when a girl is pregnant particularly the last few months, mm. that's actually quite dangerous. Mm. Uh, and so we debated amongst just the two of us, you know, should Elizabeth go out and queue for water or should I go out? And in our culture, obviously the man goes, yeah. but in their culture, obviously the woman goes. Yes. Well, we decided in that case, I should go. Mm. And uh, it, it was a bit funny. Mm -hmm. You know, the women all came to me immediately and said, oh, is Elizabeth sick? And mm. I said, no, but in England, British people, also, British men also have muscles and can <laughs> carry water. <laughs> and uh, so and it's not healthy. And uh, yes. so I'm going to carry it. And so we would have a queue of women and then a gap and then me, and then another gap, and then women that came after me. <laughs> um, but that spread, uh, that women, that men could also do physical work, which had never been done before. Mm. Uh, uh, on the other hand, in church, the men sat on one side, the women on the other. Yeah, same in Pakistan. Uh -huh. Yes, and we felt we should follow that. Yeah, definitely. and uh, you know we didn't hold hands, we didn't look at each other in public mm. at all. Even the way I'm looking at you now in the eyes, yeah. that would have been quite immoral to do that with Elizabeth. Yeah, even public. as your own wife. Wow. Yes, and uh, and I normally didn't speak to Elizabeth in public because mm. that was not what they did. Wow, that's a big sacrifice for Elizabeth. Yes, you know, especially. So, uh, 
you know, if I wanted to ask Elizabeth something in the presence of of other people, mm. local people, I would say, you know, um, I think Elizabeth will bring some drinks or something. Ah. <laughs> Rather than saying to Elizabeth, could you please? <laughs> wow. Um, and I would hear our neighbours who were also newly married at the same time and just the two of them living in the house next door. Mm. And they would never speak to each other, even in private, in mm. their own home. No way. Uh, they always addressed the wall. And they would say, oh, wall, such and such. <laughs> and the other one would then reply to the wall. <laughs> and they would never heard that. That's, that's extreme. Through the wall. We didn't do that. <laughs> but we did do it sort of indirect speech. Yes, in public. Uh, and so, I mean, all sorts of things that you want to ask yourself, what in local culture do you feel is really unbiblical mm. and needs to change? Yep. And other things in the culture that you say, well, that's the way they do it. Uh, and okay, uh, yeah. we'll fit in. That's right. Um, Much as Daniel and his friends had to do in Babylon. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Type of food and so on. Yes, yes. So okay. we don't even really understand why they said no, do we, to the king's meat. But somehow they drew the line. They, they were okay to take on the names of idols, Belteshazzar and so on and Yes. Even their Jewish names were left behind. They seemed okay with that, but they would not. They drew a line in the sand. They would not eat that meat for some reason, whether and it was sacrificed to idols. even took over the name for God. Yeah. In the local religion. Yeah. Because the Babylonians used the word Elah for the creator. Ah. Uh, uh. uh, in their animistic tribal Babylonian religion. Mm. Uh, and um, Elah is carried over into the New Testament, into the Old Testament even. Uh, mm. You find it used once in Jeremiah, mm. and it is the common word for God in Ezra. Wow, that's so uh, interesting. And that, I mean, that's interesting when you're talking about Muslims and can we use the word Allah and so on and use these Arabic yes. terms for God or not. And yeah, I often say, well, not just look at the Arabic church over the centuries who've used those names, but look at scripture too. I mean, yes. Theos in the New Testament, that came from the Greek pantheon. That was not, nobody went around saying Yahweh as they wrote the, you know, the letters, the and epistles. And we in Europe have done that because actually with we God. God. Yes, who German. Was God? German, wasn't it? Or, or Norse or something, yeah. Well, God, yes. I mean, he was the the high creator deity of the mm. pagan British tribes mm. before the coming of Christianity. Exactly. So and we took that over, but gave it a, a biblical understanding. Yes, that's right. As the Old Testament does with El. Yes. And Elah. Right. Yes. 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 So and we can actually, reinterpret by by who is the God and Father, and, our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever we call him in our language. And yes. you mentioned Norway just now. Yeah. Uh, very interestingly, in not in Norway, but across in Sweden, they have a 
well, in Norway too, they have a very big midsummer festival and they celebrate midsummer with big conferences, mm. big get togethers, jamborees, and so on, and secular and also Christian, mm. including the very evangelical Christians. And in the Swedish ones, they uh, they celebrate midsummer by having a, a big lump of wood covered with leaves, and they dig a hole in the top of the the wood, and they put a big cross up on it, and the uh -huh. cross is also covered with leaves, uh -huh. and in the branches of the the cross, they have a circle underneath across the fertility symbol. Mm. And then the unmarried girls go into the forest, very evangelical this, mm. <laughs> evangelical conferences, <laughs> the unmarried girls go into the forest dressed in white, Wow! and they collect wild flowers mm. and make themselves a, a little coronet out of the flowers. Mm -hmm. And then they dance around the altar Mm. Interesting. Very Midsummer Night's Dream. And this was a pagan festival yep. uh, where the gods were considered to be male, mm. but didn't have any females. Wow. And so some of the virgin girls would go out into the forest dressed in white purity. Mm hmm and collect flowers, and then they would dance around the altar, notice all fertility covered with leaves mm. and the fertility symbols under the, uh, the cross things. Uh, and having danced, they would then be sacrificed to the gods. Wow. Human sacrifice. My goodness. Uh, so that the gods had girls that they could yep. use, and that would produce babies for the tribes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cattle would also be fertile. Yeah. Wow. And, and, they, and they've reinterpreted these pagan traditions and they're still using them in the evangelical church today. And in now it's, it's the heart of an evangelical festival. Yeah. Interesting. Much, much as we've done similar things to Christmas and Easter yes, in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, neither, neither of which are biblical, eh? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get some trouble now. Surely biblical to have Easter eggs and rabbits, <laughs> isn't it? Exactly. And lots of shopping and Boxing Day sales. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with fertility gods. And I'm sure the German Lebkuchen are definitely biblical. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin, it's been such a joy to have you on this morning. I've loved hearing some of your stories. You're a fantastic storyteller and, and, and your challenges to us. Could you, um, yeah, any final tips or can you recommend, you know, some of the books that you and Elizabeth have written to us? Yes, I think, I think people will enjoy and benefit from our life stories. Elizabeth, my wife, Elizabeth Goldsmith, has written her life story, God Can Be Trusted, it's called. God Can mm. Be Trusted. Just a cheap paperback. Uh, and... Uh, that speaks a lot of her experience in a Japanese prison camp in the Second World War, mm. and particularly her experiences, our experiences in, in the fast-growing churches of Indonesia. 
and I think people will enjoy that uh, very much. And I have written my life story, Life's Tapestry, it's called. Again, just a, a paperback, uh, so not expensive. And that's got my conversion and uh, a lot of international perspective as well. Mm. So I hope people will really enjoy that and learn from it. Um, I've also written a book called Storytelling, uh, which goes through what we talked about and has lots of examples of different stories that you could use, uh, both Brilliant. Jungle Doctor books and also uh, some of the parables and so on, uh, and some of the principles of storytelling and how to do it. Uh, mm. So I hope people will find that really helpful just for witness in Britain, yeah. let alone yeah. among Muslims. Uh, I've also written a book on relating to Muslims. Mm. It's called Beyond Beards. Beyond Beards and Burkas, B-U-R-Q-A-S. Yeah. The, the clothing that covers a woman in Islam. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's the story of my encounters with a lot of different Muslims of very different backgrounds. Mm. And, and in each case, I give one major conversation I've had with them about Islam and the Christian faith. Mm. Uh, and I hope people will see how to communicate with Muslims more effectively through that and it's an easy book to read because it's it's just these personal encounters beyond beards and burkas fantastic and thank you others. you yeah. can see the whole list on my website and my website is martingoldsmith.wordpress.com and i do a weekly blog which is a biblical exposition and my Jewish perspective and mission perspective will come out. Yeah. Uh, I hope people will enjoy that. I'm going through Romans at the moment. Great. But, Thank uh, you. We will make we'll mention um, some of those books definitely, and the the uh, yeah the the website and so on that will connect people to you, so they can find out more about your your writings and your story and your yeah your blog sounds fantastic as well. So we'll put a note of. Of some of those things in the, the text that goes alongside this episode but thank you martin thank you for your time this morning it's been great chatting well, to you just great to be with you and yeah. so enjoyed you matt in these uh, encounters that we've had <laughs> thank you and god bless and happy anniversary next week thank you very much blessings on you thanks so much for listening i hope today's episode has been inspiring and challenging for more check us out on our website frontiers.org.uk and on all social media platforms at Frontiers UK. Have a great week and make sure you don't miss our next episode.